0: Hey, mujeres, my name is Gladys Codines, host of the Courageous Mujer podcast. This season, me siento. Muy excited to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month by focusing on our cultura, our identity, and our accomplishments by getting to know six wonderful Latinas throughout the state. Courageous Mujer Podcast celebrates Hispanic Heritage Month is sponsored by Humanities Nebraska, Dr. Katie White's, and United by Culture Media, an affiliate of the Lexington Community Foundation. We know that we're just scratching the surface, and we will continue to embrace, support, and celebrate each and every single one of you, from Scottsbluff to Lincoln, y desde North Platte a Omaha. Feliz mes de la herencia hispana. Bienvenidas mujeres. Welcome to Courageous Mujer Podcast. Today we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. We're kicking it off today. So we're super excited to be here and join us during your lunch, hopefully. comiendo un poquito de taquitos or an ensalada to be healthy. I got you. am going to go ahead and just first start off with thanking every single one of you for joining us, for supporting Courageous Mujer Podcast. We appreciate you, and we also want to appreciate our sponsors. Uh, We want to say thanks to Humanities Nebraska. They have provided uh, some technology for us to be able to provide this podcast throughout the state, so we we are very thankful for Humanities Nebraska. And of course, Dr. Katie Weitz, she's a great supporter of our podcast, and this is produced and edited by United by Culture Media and my editor, Chris Cox. And we're so excited to have my first guest, Yolanda Nuncio, here today. Yolanda Anuncio, to me, needs no introduction. <clears throat> Mi querida amiga, a mentor, friend, family, comadre, as we've said before, um, you have been part of my life for a very long time, but I know I'm not the only one, and I hope that we can introduce you to other people here in the state of Nebraska that get to know the great work that you have done and continue to do for our community, our Latino community, um, and I think there's no other better way to kick off Hispanic Heritage Month with talking with you. Uh, we did have a conversation earlier this year So please check out our first episode with Yolanda Nuncio. The name of it is La Unica, my mentor, Yolanda Nuncio. And we talked a lot about your education, your career. Um, And today I really, really want to delve into just a little bit more Nebraska history,
1: if that's okay with you. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Congratulations Um, as well. You've got this is a great setup and you're doing a really great job with this. So congratulations to you and to Chris and to all your supporters and you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you.
0: It's it's because of seeds, right? That you yeah. implanted in me that I'm able and capable of doing this and more. So thank you very much. You know No, no. <laughs> Can't do that. <laughs> because we would. <laughs> Um, let's go ahead and start. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about the Chicano movement. We talked last time when we had a conversation about Cesar Chavez and how you traveled to Oregon. Um, you, if you'd like to revisit that, that would be great. But I really want to know when you come back to Nebraska, what did that movement look like here?
1: When I came back from Oregon to live here, to return to Nebraska, I came home because um, first of all, I didn't like, I loved Oregon. Um, I loved all the things that I was involved with, but uh, there are other people in the state now who can verify that part of living in Oregon is getting used to the rain and the cloudy days for months and months and months. And, you know, we talk a lot about the weather here in Nebraska and how it changes every five minutes. Well, in Oregon, it doesn't change. It's rainy and foggy and cold and cloudy from early fall till spring. And so it's very hard to live out there because it's, it's, it's cold and wet and rainy and cloudy, and we need the sunshine. You know, if you've grown up in Nebraska, you're used to the sunshine, even after a blizzard. You know, we could have 20 feet of snow on the ground and the wind's blowing, but that sun's shining on you and giving you energy and giving you life. So that's why I came back home. Um, after I came home, um, I went to work with a community action program. And uh, some of the people that were involved with the Community Action Program were really involved with starting a Chicano movement here in Nebraska. Here in Grand Island, there were some of our leaders, and I think all of them pretty much now have passed on. Um, But there are people like Nacho Valdez and Johnny Darmidis and uh, others in the community that were influential in getting the Chicano movement started here. Uh, These gentlemen were, were (coughs) excuse me, elders in the community, and they were my mentors, and they were the ones that got me involved with um, the things that we did. Um, We were were very instrumental, first of all, in getting the now known as the Latino American Commission started. Um, Across the state, there were organizations and groups and Chicanos that were involved with the same type of issues that we are here, uh, there was a group of, of individuals from Scottsbluff and the Scottsbluff area that would travel across the state and we would meet with them and then we'd pick up people as we went along and we ended up in in Lincoln and in Omaha. Um, so some of the people that are currently still leaders in Nebraska and highly respected leaders like uh, Marty Ramirez, Dr. Marty Ramirez, and Reynaldo Cervantes who just passed, and Jesse Cervantes, who lives in Omaha, and um, other, I think he's still in Omaha, and other Chicanos from western Nebraska, as they moved across the state, organized us across the state, and we became part of the Chicano movement. We, as I said, we were very instrumental in forming the Latino American Commission. At that time, it was called the Nebraska Mexican American Commission. And we coordinated with uh, Latino Chicano leaders from Omaha, including uh, uh, Mr. Dr. Ramirez. And uh, Doc Buff, Reverend, oh, my gosh, I can't remember his name, Navarrete or Navarron. I can't remember his name completely. Uh, but there were leaders from the Omaha area who were also involved with the American GI Forum. And uh, together, you know, and, and it was really interesting because the American GI Forum was a more conservative, older group of Latino leaders in the state and from Omaha and the, and and Lincoln. And then the Chicano leaders from Western Nebraska were younger, more um, controversial uh, Chicano leaders from out there. And so it was, I don't think it was ever truly a blending of the two groups, but there was coordination, there was cooperation, there was support so that the, uh, The Chicano leaders from western Nebraska and from central Nebraska worked closely with the Chicano leaders from eastern Omaha, Nebraska, which were totally different, but achieved many goals. Uh, The first one and the biggest one, which is still in existence today, is the Mexican-American Commission, now known as the Latino-American Commission. Um, That movement by itself involved... Many, many meetings in Omaha, many, many meetings in Lincoln, meetings with state government, with senators, with governors, and um, as many times as the commission has had to defend itself uh, through various administrations and, and leaderships and um Economies and, and everything, the commission still stands. Right. Uh, in fact, at this point, they're planning their Hispanic Heritage Month uh, celebration, which will be held later. And um, that celebration has been going on for several years now. So I think that that probably is is the the biggest uh, positive result from the whole Chicano movement, and um, it still exists. So that's pretty that's pretty awesome. You know, you think about other things that went on in the community, in the state, uh, around the Chicano movement and what happened. We, we have to realize that 50 years ago, there weren't the number of Chicanos, a number of Latinos in the state of Nebraska as there are now. And the people that were here were mostly Mexican-Americans who had been here for two, three, and four generations. So we had old... Mostly Mexican communities in, in the state. You know, in, in Grand Island, our, our history goes back to the sugar beets. My father, many of the people from my father's generation and even some people from my generation had to work sugar beets. And people, people migrated here to work in the sugar beets and lived in the colonia out by the sugar beet plant. And that's why we're here. That's how we settled here. But we go clear back to to the early 1900s, I know of of senoras who were who were friends of my parents and of my grandparents who were born here in Grand Island, and in talking with people from Scottsbluff, the same situation is out there. Um, so we have we go back generations, which isn't really ever acknowledged. Um, and at that time, mostly Mexicans, because Mexicans came up, and we were we were Mexican Americans, and Grand Island was really unique in that. our... Our families were old families and pretty much everybody was related because the old families were like the Aguilar family, the Ramirez family, the Martinez family, the Malgoza family, uh, the Soto family. These families go back, way back, and there was a lot of intermarrying and intermarriages and um Everybody was related. So people used to joke about how you really couldn't go out with somebody because you never knew if they were a cousin, you know? And then in the seventies, <clears throat> excuse me, it started to change. People started to, to immigrate up to, to Grand Island and to Nebraska, and people were coming up to work. At at that time, it was Swiss. And the, the difference in that population and the population today is that at that time, they were mostly young, single men. And they'd come up here. They'd work, and you know they're pretty transient because they were unattached men, and so they'd be here. They'd work for a while. They'd settle here, or sometimes a lot of them would move on also. So that contributed to the community. And then as as people started to settle down, and. I guess, get older and grow up, uh, people started to uh, become more stable in the community and become a part of the community, which then was the pretty much the, the beginning of the real immigration wave that hit Grand Island.
0: Right. If I may, uh, Yolanda, because I, I want to hear about all of this. And this is really, I think, information that I'm not like we've talked before. not a lot of people know. And there's some hidden history here mm-hmm. um, And the reason why I asked about Chicano, uh, the Chicano movement specifically is because that was a nationwide movement. But like you said, we've been in the United States, the Latino Americans, Mexican Americans have been in the United States for a very long time. And I, I want to be mindful, if I may take you back a little bit, just with the Chicano movement itself. Like uh, we've mentioned before, I don't I don't think a lot of our youth know that there is a Latin American commission in the Mm -hmm. state of Nebraska. And like you said, there's a lot of work that takes place for individuals to be able to form such a formal piece in a state. It involves state senators. It involves a lot of lobbying and advocating. So just thinking back of those days specifically, How hard, one, was it finding each other? Because this podcast is a lot about connecting, you know, Mm -hmm. and how did how did you find each other? You know, Marty was in Lincoln. I'm thinking Uh, Dr. Ramirez was in Lincoln. Um, And then we have a lot of wonderful gentlemen in Scott's Bluff. They were also very much uh, mobilizing in Scott's Bluff. How, how did you interact? I mean, we didn't have, you know, social media to uh, click on, right? So how did you
1: connect? A lot of the connections were made just by by people knowing other people. For example, you know, Marty and other people from Western Nebraska, you know, came to school in Lincoln, Nebraska. And as they came to school here, then they branched out and started to to make contacts with other people. So then those connections were made, you know, with a small group of individuals, and they would then be able to put people together. So when people from Western Nebraska started moving, bringing the movement eastward, then a lot of those connections were made just by, you know, somebody would be coming from Scotts Bluff would stop here in Grand Island. We'd we'd meet and we'd, we'd gather and then we'd move on from there. Uh, many, many times we would go out to Scotts Bluff for um, Issues to face issues or to help support issues that were going on out there where they, where the community needed more help from other Chicanos in the state. So there are many times that we would travel out there to, to help support those communities. I mean, when I first became familiar with Lyman and, and, uh, the other communities, Morrill and all the other communities around Scotts Bluff because of those connections and those movements. Same thing would happen out here. When something would go on here, then we would draw on, a Chicanos from other communities mm-hmm. so that there was that constant support. And so then when, if there was an issue in Scotts Bluff or an issue in Grand Island, we were able, we were already connected with each other so that we were able to uh, get the support we needed to help, help us in, in our issues and things I mean. that were going on.
0: That's, you know, what's so interesting is I see a parallel now, you know, the parallel of a younger Uh, Latinos, Mexican-Americans and Chicanos connecting now and a lot, you know, um, throughout the state. I think this is very cool seeing it now at this generation. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the Latino-American Commission. And I just want to make sure we talk about this again, because I don't think people know. It is very much intentional in being throughout the state. So we have representatives throughout the state that meet either virtual or at the Capitol. And then they talk about Latino issues and try to do their best to put those at the forefront of the state and the government. Um, Any other insight as to how, let's say Gladys was to run for the Latino American Commission. How do I even figure that out?
1: Okay, so the commissioners, the Latino American Commission has commissioners from throughout Nebraska. There are a total of 10 commissioners on the commission. One of them has to be a governor representative. The other nine commissioners are reflect the populations in the state, the different communities. Uh, so there's a a lady from Scotts. From Scott, there's a lady from Scotts, a person from Scottsbluff. There's Aida's from Hastings. Uh, Sandra has just been appointed from Grand Island. There are people from Omaha, from Lincoln, from Columbus. So all of the state is represented in this commission. They are governor appointed, and um, so the governor makes the appoint appoints people to the commission, and then they serve a term, which I thought it know if it's two or three years, and then they can be reappointed or or not um, A person who is interested in serving on the commission needs to submit their name and their their interest, a letter of interest, telling the governor that they are interested in serving on the commission, and then the governor will appoint them. The the interesting part with the Latino American Commission is that it is mandated by the legislature. So although the the appointees on the commission are governor-appointed, the commission is a standalone agency that reports in response to the Nebraska legislature. They are not under the control of the governor of Nebraska. You know, and depending on whomever the governor is at that time and the situation in the state at that time, you know, that that is really good because it allows them to be independent and take positions um, on issues that are that affect Nebraskans that are separate from where the position of the governor might be at that time. Mm-hmm. So and it's, it''s it's good. They've had um, studies over the years that have to do with education and employment. Um, I'm not really sure what the commission is doing at this time, but you know there there have been really positive results that have come out of some of the studies and the work that the commission has done. We've had uh, different executive directors. The first executive director we had was uh, Stanley Porras. And so the other directors have been from either the, the Lincoln area. We've had directors from the Scottsbluff area who have moved to Lincoln. So it can be a very powerful agency and should be the voice of Latinos in Nebraska. And you know, I I would encourage young people to submit their names to be to serve on the Mexican on the Latino American Commission because it is good for it's very important that the commission be represented by people of, of different ages, you know, we have to have all generations, all all kinds of people on the commission. Not only the diversity in their 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 bloodlines, you know, whether you're uh, Mexican or or um, Puerto Rican or whatever. There are so many subcultures within the whole Latino community. So those representations need to be there. But we also need to have representation from a diverse age group of people as well. Right. right.
0: And I really appreciate that invitation because, again, some may not know that, one, this organization is live and uh, kicking. Right. And then, two, how do you even join it? So I hope that you all can um, visit the Latino American Commission's website and inquire and look and figure out, you know, if this is a commission that you want to run for. And obviously, we encourage anybody and everybody to run for local office and, you know, eventually a, you know, (laughs) state senator um, potentially, you know, a representative, Congress. We we don't see limits here in this room.
1: So, no. no, I agree. We have to. We have to be ready for 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 the future. We have to. Have, our young people have to be ready and be willing to to. Educate, become educated, and to learn about state government and federal government. You know, we have Senator Vargas right now, who um, is is a Nebraska legislator. Mm-hmm. We have Senator Aguilar, who just uh, won the election and was end was is now on the legislature. Those are two men, and they're both from different generations too. Right. Because Senator Aguilar is from Grand Island and grew up here and is is is. A little bit older than me, but not, not much. And, uh, Senator Vargas is is very young. And so both of them have so much to be able to give the state and to give the legislature. And they have actually now set the, broken the ground for future Latinos to be ready to step into the legislature and into leadership, uh, and administrative roles in government in Mm -hmm. Nebraska.
0: And I agree. And I, the State Senator Tony Vargas, I know him more uh, because of his generation, right? Mm-hmm. And he has done so much for our state, for our communities uh, throughout this past year. And, uh, you know, just coming back a little bit to the parallels of the Chicano Movement, Latino American Commission, being part of that, those are all little baby seeds being planted for, you know, Tony Vargas to be part of a greater spectrum. Um so let's just then one of my questions for you know the world is how how do we bring not the Chicano movement in but the the next step you know here in Nebraska what does that look like to you how do you foresee young people being involved? Um is there groups right now that are currently moving throughout the state doing activities that are trying to engage us and make sure that we're um, advocating and making sure that we're speaking up on behalf of our Latino neighbors and community members.
1: Yes, there are groups that are that are out there. There are groups that there are professional groups that that exist as well that help to develop young leaders, young Latino leaders. Um, you can look at Omaha and they have their metro area um, young leaders group, professional group there. And if you look at that group, some of the people that have come out of there that have participated in there in that group, there are some really strong individuals in there, Roger Garcia and and. And I think Senator Vargas was involved with that group. Juan Cangas, there are a lot of young uh, Latino leaders in the group that, that are doing so much in their own communities. A lot of their growth comes from within that group, because their education, their experiences with the group. We have in, in Lincoln and in Kearney, we have the universities that have young Latino uh, fraternities and sororities, and those organizations give young people, young university and college students, the opportunity to experience things at the national level as part of national organizations, as well as at the local level. Mm -hmm. And that's an experience because we have so much to learn from each other. You know, and and lots of times people are, are really surprised to see that we have so many Latinos in Nebraska. And that gives, being able to participate on a national level with national organizations gives them the opportunity to learn about the national issues, the national movement as well as the national movement to learn about what happens in Nebraska and what's happening here. So there's lots of opportunities there for young people to grow. I know that in Scotts Bluff and other communities in the the state there are organizations and groups that work with young Latinos. You know, there's so much of what we do has to be the mentoring process because we learn from each other and and, you know, there's, there's no there's no reason for us to have to go through today what some of us went through 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And, you know, no reason to reinvent the wheel. You know, it's there. We need to learn from each other and grow with each other. And I I, I believe that uh, um Elder leaders need to be willing to to mentor and to share with young people to help them develop all the skills that they, many of them already have skills, just don't even realize okay. it at that point. So they need to cultivate th- their skills and, and develop their skills and grow from there. And we all have that responsibility towards each other.
0: I 100% agree. And I almost want to say, Opening up that door of, I want to say elders, but everybody, right? So our community, our state is majority white Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And there's so much opportunity there to teach our young Latinos how to do X, right? How to do Y. If you're a city leader, if you're a chamber leader and you see potential or you see a young Latina or Latino trying to develop those skills to be able to make them a better professional a better civically engaged community member, I, I think, you know, take that time to embrace uh, and then really support that individual. Um, I've really gotten that from you. And I've gotten that from a lot of young and, indiv- you know, older individuals and um, mentors that I have seen um, succeed. And I always take the time to ask, you know, how, how am I doing? What, what can we do better? Where should I go? What can I do? Um, so take that time if you're younger to start asking those questions. And then also, if you're older, give us some patience. I, I've, I've definitely complimented you with your patience and your unconditional love, because I have fallen flat on my face various times, uh, including in this podcast. But, uh, you know, just trying to do my best to continue and be better the next time. Right. And just getting back up. And you have been very supportive throughout. So I appreciate you in that patience and unconditional love. And I hope that other mentors also provide that to other individuals that are trying to develop themselves as well.
1: You know, I, I, I think that I, we said we weren't going to cry, so, so oh, yeah. we can't. <laughs> but, you know, I look at, at some of the young people that I've had the opportunity to learn, to know over, over the years. And um, I get very emotional when I think about all of them because there's so many that so far have done such great things. You know, I look at you, uh, at Juan Guzman, at Mirto Delgado, at um, I mean, people all over the state that that, that I've had. Con- Moe Padilla, or Moses Padilla, who's now working on his doctorate degree. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll be the first one that I'm aware of from that generation that will be Dr. Padilla, you know, and the, the power in that for other kids younger than him. You know, the positive influence that he can have on younger people students who will be at the university or or wherever you know that just opens up so much more, you know, and I look back to Dr. Dolores Cardona, who was one of the first people from Nebra uh, from one of the first Latinas to graduate as a doctor with her doctorate degree from UNL. Dolores was from, from Scotts Bluff, from the Scotts Bluff area and came to Grand Island and uh, taught here for a few years and then moved on to Lincoln and, got her doctorate she was always a mentor for me because she just was she was a great teacher she was a great person she was so intelligent and she got that doctorate degree mm-hmm. you know and so i look at that these people that are that are older that have influenced me my my whole life you know dr prometheus is another one because marty has been there for me personally and for the whole community for for many, many years, you know, I mean, we've both <laughs> um, grown older and wiser together because of, of our relationship. I have nothing but respect for him. And I think about all the people that he's had an influence on that are younger than, than him, younger than me. And still being influenced by him, and you know he was a part of the whole Chicano movement. He was right. a Vietnam vet. He. Um, you know and it's can still contributing to the Scotts Bluff community although he's lived in Lincoln for for many many years but he's still contributing to the Scotts Bluff community where his roots are um, through the participation in the Vietnam uh, veterans memorial that they have out there and different projects you know the influence that he's had here in Grand Island through trainings and and just the opportunity to meet with him has helped us so you know i'm hoping that with younger People, people will be able to serve as as, as those mentors, and as those um, people with with maybe a little more wisdom because they have the experience, and you know b- believe in what what our young people are doing, because there's just so many young kids out young people out there that are that are doing great things and will continue to do great things and are in positions for younger kids and younger people to, to see, wow, you know, you can do that. I can do that. Right. You know, you'd look like me. You know, you talk like me. You know, I still remember back to when I was in Lexington and those little boys telling me, oh, you're Mexican like me or you speak Spanish like me, you know. So even with with little children, the, the your influence is there.
0: You know, I I have our board president. Uh, she might be watching Stephanie Novoa. She was one of your students yeah. and she's currently working for the school system uh, through Sixpence. And she has mentioned that as well. She said, I remember seeing, uh, you know, Mrs. Yolanda, Mrs. Nuncio, Mrs. Nuncio. <laughs> Mrs. Nuncio, and just seeing a reflection of me and being grateful mm-hmm. for it. So how one, all of the work that you have done and all of the work that the Chicano movement went in and initiated, and now it still continues to this day through different movements or different acts of leadership. um, They're still impacting so many other Latinos within the community. So we talked about the Chicano movement coming back. We talked about, we celebrated some names. We uplifted some individuals that have been here in Nebraska and and changing uh, the way that our communities perceived via leadership, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is one of, what what is a topic that you want to talk about today that you want to give light to, that you want to make sure that everybody is aware of and how they can be a part of the solution of this? And we talked a little bit about both education and immigration, both are great topics. What would you like to break down a
1: little bit today? I think that I think I want to pretty much stick with education, mm-hmm. okay? Okay. Um, I, I am an educator. I was a, a principal. I was an elementary school teacher, a middle school teacher. So I, I believe that, that, that I'm still an educator, although I'm retired, that I think it's there, you know. Right. I think, so it's very, education is very, very important to me. Um, I am, I'm very, Um, Excited that we have the programs that we have at the different universities and the colleges in Nebraska. Um, We've got tremendous programs at UNK, at UNL, and there are growing programs at UNO. And um I know of young people that there's a young woman from Grand Island who is going to Shadron State out in western Nebraska out there in the hills. And she is the president of the student body. She's Latina here from Grand Island. She's already been accepted into UNMC after she graduates this next year. So she'll be going on to UNMC next year. So she's going to go from the hills, literally, to the Metro of Omaha in, in less than a year and is going to have such a good background because she's going to be able to understand what it's like living as a young woman of color in a community where there is, it's a rural, very small, pretty much isolated community, to going into a metro area where she'll have the opportunity to work with, with many different people from many different backgrounds. And um, I think that that's a really strong basis for her education. Um, so I think that, that there are young people out there that are in education and what are going through education right now, who are being educated, who are able to look at themselves, look at their futures and look at their communities and see what kind of a future they want for themselves and what kind of impact they can have on their communities. Again, I really want to stress that, that. Uh, people who have those opportunities need to make sure not to forget where they come from and how they can positively affect people and to bring people with them. Because when you know who you are, where you're from and where you're going. You are able, I believe, to have a real impact on others in your communities. And, um, so it's very exciting for me to see people, it, young people in education and, um, it even depend. It doesn't even matter what branch of uh, what field you're going into, but to be able to to do your best in that field and then become out and be a a professional in the community that has a positive effect on the whole community. It's just very exciting to me, and so um, I'd really like to to encourage people to. Um, continue their education, to, to know that, you know, when you're in high school and you're in programs and you are really maybe not sure where you want to go to, to not eliminate the opportunities that are out there for you to go to, to the university or to go to college. There are many opportunities there and you make the choices. You know, I've, you know, I worked at the university for a while, for a few years, and it's like you aren't going to be the only one that's going to go to the university or to a college and think I'm going to be a teacher. And then two years into the program, think, no, I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm not going to, I'm not, gonna, you know, I have no business <laughs> being a teacher, you know, and that's okay. Cause we're still learning. We're still growing. We're still developing. And so you're not a failure because you change your major or you change your field of study. You You learn, you know what you want to do, and you might find that you really are going to be a great scientist, although you didn't even realize it till that point, you know? And so there, there's, there's, I encourage people to continue their education and to, to reach for their dreams, you know? I also think that, um, I am a believer in the community college systems. But I also, and, and vocational schools, I think, because we need everybody. I think that any field of education that you go into, whether it's a two-year program, a, you know, whatever the program may be, a year's study, whatever, you know, you still have the opportunity to to grow and to, to, to change from there and to continue from there. For example, if somebody goes, to, starts out at Central Community College, there are transfer programs that are available so that you can, when you realize that, now maybe I need to go on to a four-year university, there are transfer programs that are in place that are able to help you make that smooth transition into a four-year university. And for some people, starting out at community college is great. For some people, it's not what they want to do. And that's right. okay. You know, you make your choices based on who you are and what you are. There's a young lady from Grand Island who has, um, she's DACA. And she struggled. She was an outstanding student. And she struggled to to find money to go to school. And she found enough money um, to get through CCC. So she went to community college. And this year, she's at UNK. Mm-hmm. And still struggling for money, but working hard, still making the dean's list, still working really hard. She's going to be a teacher. And she's going to make it because she has... She has ganas, you know, right. and when you have ganas, you nobody can take that away from you if you if you don't let them.
0: Yeah, that want, that hunger, right, mm-hmm. that we that we carry as immigrants, children of immigrants who are just wanting to survive and and succeed and get our education. I 100 percent agree and in, in everything. And I hope that we're also seeing the kids that already graduated have gone to school, obtained their degree and we see them in different professional areas, including education. We have a lot of school administrators. Mariana Cruz comes to mind. She graduated from Grand Island and then now she's an administrator in Lincoln or Omaha. I think Omaha. Omaha. Yeah. And then we have other young Latinas and Latinos doing their best in in administration, coaching, counseling within the school systems throughout the state of Nebraska. And now we see those little kids that right said, "Mrs. Nuncio, oh, you speak Spanish like me." Now they see a lot more of us, refle- or the reflection within the school system, which is really cool.
1: I yeah. just had a conversation. I was a, I was asked to be a reference for uh, a student uh, just last week. He's studying to become a counselor. He's working on his master's, and now he's working on his administrative degree. And I was I told him that it's really exciting for me as a former administrator and for the other administrators that I know to see the number of young people that are coming up in with uh, seeking their, their their degrees in administration. I can remember um, when I was an administrator, there were four or five of us in the state of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. There was Dora from Scotts Bluff and Mr. Connell from Omaha and Mrs. Suarez from Um, uh, Lincoln and Mr. Otero from Lexington and myself. So there were five of us. And when we would go to the state administrators conference in Kearney, there were five of us there among hundreds of, of other administrators. And now we have young people that are administrators, that are up and coming administrators, that are in those positions, that are uh, accepting the leadership and the responsibilities that go with being leaders and with being administrators and doing what we need to have done in our schools to make sure our kids uh, are treated equitably and uh, there's equity in their school districts and that our children are Receiving every possible opportunity they can to achieve and to excel.
0: Yes. And looking at the numbers, Yolanda, just looking at those public school numbers, especially again in the rural communities and metro communities, but those rural communities that have either farming, migrant farm workers, or uh, meatpacking plants. In Lexington, we were just looking at the numbers Um, 70% of the students from Lexington have somebody that speak a different language other than English at home. Hmm. What does that mean? You know, and how does, how can we make an impact on those little ones? And by teaching, you know, being an educator, an administrator, a counselor, a coach, uh, you could definitely make a positive impact in the community with those kiddos because we're growing up, they want to see us. And they want to succeed, you know, and and they want to be proud of their culture, and they want to be happy uh, within their community. Yeah. I think it's all it's all <laughs> yeah, same guy. <laughs> um, it's I, it's all full circle, and it's just a beautiful thing. And I look forward to the future. You know, we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, and it's just a beautiful thing to look to think of what's to come because we have so much happening.
1: I'm excited about with with Lexington because you know Lexington has um, done a good job of recruiting and retaining teachers. You know, I don't know of any other district in the state that has two Latino. Counselors available to their students, both at the junior high level or middle school level and the high school level. Mm -hmm. You can't, you know, counselors are one of the most important leaders or person for children to connect with in their schools. And we have in Lexington, you have Mr. Lemus, and you have Mr. Monroy, and. There the message there for these kids is I come from the same background you come from and if I can do it, you can do it. And I'm bilingual. I speak Spanish. I speak English. I, my family works at the packing plant. My family works in the fields. You know, my family does what your family does. And if I can do it, you can do it. The mess that message by itself, without even getting into the professional side of Mm -hmm. it, is a message that, that kids can understand and can, can, can believe in. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Well, if I can take some time too then to celebrate a couple of the women that I know out of Lexington too. is a big program that we have in Lexington. It's the Six Pens Program. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. It's early childhood, pre you know, pre-kiddos. Uh, not pre-kiddos, obviously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whatever yeah, interesting. that might be I don't know part. what
0: that looks like. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but preschool, you know, and then just developing those those little kiddos and, and their households So home mm-hmm. visiting. Maricela Novoa Stephanie Novoa, uh, Karina Lupercio just moved out of that role and now has her own mental health uh, 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 private practice. So we have so many young kiddos también that see a reflection of themselves. So hopefully that uh, lineage of not only the kiddos going through school, but seeing the teachers, each teacher throughout that school also
1: makes a reflection of them. That's right. And then you you look at people like... uh, Eli, her, excuse me, Alma Becerra, mm-hmm. who has been doing that dance group for the last 30, 40 years. I don't even know how long... So how far back time. it goes yeah. but you know the her commitment to children in that community those kids some of those kids have been dancing for years and I remember with, with kids when I was out there, those kids had been dancing for, for from when they were little and they were still dancing when they were in high school so those positive impacts that they have again on children and she still works with her position with LPL mm-hmm. or with Le- Lexington Public Schools and is doing a great job we have those same people across the state right you know we have have, we have people like that in Grand Island, and we have people like that, as you mentioned, Mariana in, in Omaha, and Vidiana in, in Omaha, mm-hmm. and Juan mm-hmm. Congas in Omaha, and in, in, Om- in Lincoln, we have Claudia um, Morales, and uh, in Crete, we have Miriam Lopez. Mm-hmm. So we, in, in Columbus, we have uh, Blanca. We have young people like that all over the state that are excelling in their field that are having po- can have positive effects on students on young Latino students in in their in their lives every day. Yes, so we're 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 getting there, but we're, we're we're not there yet. Yes, so we still have our kids that are struggling that are struggling to identify in the schools and to become a part of the schools and to excel like we know they can. One of
0: the things, and I don't want to go down down this hole, but one of the things that just came up recently in my school system is that there's teachers still telling kiddos not to speak Spanish in the classroom. Um, So that, you know, If we may open this conversation up to teachers that may be watching, trying to learn, our recommendation is to engage with the kiddos and say, hey, at this moment, can you speak so that I can understand? And then during your social time feel free to practice Spanish because I can guarantee 100% of the time or 99.9% of the time, these kiddos are just trying to have a conversation. They're just trying to relate to their friend or classmate. So we encourage individuals that are in the education system that are listening to us that may not be Hispanic or bilingual to encourage those kiddos to retain their language and choose better wording when we're talking about uh, changing the language within the classroom.
1: You know, we, it's, it's so important that, that our children become bilingual. One of the biggest concerns as, as an educator that I've always had is that we work so hard on teaching kids to speak English. And I was an ESL teacher. So we work so hard on teaching kids to learn English and we allow them Or and we actually encourage them to leave and lose their first language. That really ends up being problematic for children, especially when kids get to middle school. Um, I taught middle school, and there is a definite breakdown at that point between parents and children. Anyway, you know, just in normal white, whatever kinds of homes, there's a breakdown between. Children and their parents in middle school because children in middle school are trying to find themselves, figure out who they are. The most important thing to them are their friends. And that goes in a lot of, con- to a lot of contrast with, within our community, with our families, where we want family to be first. And what we've seen happen is that parents are, may not be able to communicate with the school. The school cannot communicate with the parents. Kids are, are, are maybe getting involved in stuff that they, they have no business getting involved with. And the parents aren't aware of it because the kids aren't talking to them anymore. And um, the best way for children to be able to develop and to grow is for them to be able to maintain that first language, but develop that second language, because to live here, You you need you need to learn English. I mean, I really encourage all kids and adults to learn English, but it should not be at the expense of your first language. Right.
0: Right. And there's studies supporting what you just said. Ah, How do I thank you? (laughs) Enough gifts are not enough. Uh, Ginormous uh, capitalized thank you is not enough. Um, I always thank you for your strength I have to get through it without crying. Yolanda, I don't know, I don't know how yeah. to do it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, but you're just a wonderful woman and I appreciate you. So thank you again for joining me on Courageous Mohead podcast. Uh, you are a light in uh, a lot of people's lives.
1: So thank you for having me. It's um, I, I consider it an honor to be here. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm so great. I think I've done lots of things that shouldn't have been done. I've done a lot of stupid things in my life too. But, but when I look out and see the number of young people that, and I really have to focus on the young people because that's the hope. But, but when I'm saying young people, I'm saying people of all ages, really. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, they're young. But to see all the successes that have been out there and, the work that they, that they've done to get where they are and um, knowing there's a lot, there's many, many more out there that, that can do the same things. And yeah. together we are strength. Oh. We are, we're a community.
0: 100%. We appreciate you for joining us. Hopefully you enjoyed your tacos while you were listening. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Hispanic Heritage Month. I just want to make sure we acknowledge that we have approximately one month of activities, and we look forward to uh, talking with Valeria this Saturday. Um, Beatriz Reyna out of North Platte, she's a journalist. Carmen Montes is back in the state of Nebraska. You know, I'm celebrating that. Yes. And then uh, Dr. Athena Ramos from UNMC out of Omaha, and Cheryl Mora James from Lincoln as well. Thank you so much and have a
1: wonderful day. Thank you, Gladys. This has been good. Thank you.
0: Again, you can find Courageous Mujer Podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. I'm your host, Gladys Codines. Y hasta la próxima.